me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Somebody say, the Trinity. The Trinity. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to start in the Bible learning about the Trinity today. And hopefully, even if that video was a little deep for some of you, you'll be able to go back and watch it. It's on our notes. But today's sermon will add a lot of clarity. So let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and onward. I want to take this opportunity to remind you we are in a series learning about the Christian worldview. So you should be comfortable being uncomfortable. If you are used to coming to a church where well, all you hear is what you already know, then you're not growing. I, during the week, listen to things sometimes where I only understand about 10% of it. I am right now on neuroscience, and I'm into deep philosophical understandings of it, only about 10%. There, most of the preaching that I listen to, I can listen to at twice the speed and not miss a thing. But I just put at twice the speed, I don't miss a thing. This thing, I have at almost half the speed. Like, I just have to listen to it over and over. And while I'm riding my bike, I'm hitting the 15-second rewind on my podcast. I am like, what is that word he just said? What is that? So be comfortable being uncomfortable. Some of you who have been brought up in church might have just thought about the Trinity as, a, as something you just took for granted, and you never really studied it much. Now you need to study it. You need to understand it more. You may not understand everything in that video, but at least go back over it until you do, and then you can understand his argument. His argument was basic. It was so simple. The Trinity is not illogical, but it's unfathomable. And then what he did was give you an example of something that's logical, but unfathomable. And he actually has a longer video, and I, I, I cut it down a little bit, so you'll see the longer one. But a, a, a moment, there was a guy who popped up, looked like he was in the 70s, and he was holding a cube. That was Carl Sagan, the famous atheist. And so he even takes a clip from Carl Sagan and says, take a look at this, that Tesseract thing he was talking about, that cube, and he is saying, we know this can logically exist in a fourth dimension. We know mathematically there can be other dimensions, but we are limited to our third, our three dimensions. And so his point with that was there are things that are logical in math but unfathomable to us. That was that simple. So any atheist or non-believer who says, oh, the Trinity, that's illogical. We go, no, it's logical. But they go, but I can't fathom it. I can't see it here. We can point them to math and say there are things in math we can't see in a different dimension, but we know they're logical. How many understand the argument now? And if you want to learn more about it, you go back and listen to understand how those cubes in math point to other dimensions. So when we go to the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we can't get very far without understanding our God is multi-personal. When he kept saying the word Unitarian, let me help you what that means. That means singularly personal, as a singular person. So let me back up and give some clear definitions. Everything in the universe has being, but not everything has personhood. This phone has being. It is being a phone right now. A rock has being, but Rocks and phones don't have personhood. Then he gave you the example and he said, we are used to in this dimension, one being having one person. That's why he showed the male and female, kind of the symbol you'll see going into the bathroom, whatever. And he goes, one being, one person, one being, one person. But what is God? God is one being, three persons. But that is not illogical. There's nothing about that that is the equivalent of this statement I'm a married bachelor, or I'm going to draw for you a square circle. How many know that's illogical? But there's nothing illogical about three persons sharing one being. And an example he gave of that is there can be three squares that share one object as a cube. And that can be six squares make a six-sided cube. That's all he was showing you. Is there? And, and, and if you were in a two-dimensional uh, world, as he showed the flat person, he showed the flat person. If you were in a two-dimensional world, looking at something that was spinning in three dimensions would be unfathomable to you. It would be coming in and out of your dimension. You wouldn't understand it. And he has another video on that as well. Because in a two-dimensional world, that cubed object, every time it would switch, it would switch just into your dimension. So let's say one of the sides like is red. When it would switch, you would just 
just see the red side. You wouldn't see the green, the orange, all those other sides because you're only in two dimensions. You can only look over at the flat side of it. You would only see the flat side of the cube as it's turning, and he actually shows you that. But in our world, we can, we can, we can do this in three dimensions. We're not flat like that. So go back and study those things. The Bible is meant to be studied. Remember, Jesus taught us to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind and strength. How many are tired of Christians not loving God with all their mind? Okay, some Christians believe in what's called fideism. Fideism is only faith. Everything is just faith. You can't understand anything. God can be illogical. God can be whatever he wants to be because he's God and just let him be God and everybody just have faith in him and get along. We don't believe in fideism. We believe in what the Bible teaches, that Jesus is the foundation of truth. He is truth. So we don't believe that faith will ever contradict truth. As a matter of fact, we're not putting faith in faith itself. We're actually putting faith in God's truth. We're putting faith in God's logic. As I've showed you guys before, you can turn there quickly. When you go to John chapter 1, verse 1, we see that Jesus is logic. John chapter 1, verse 1 teaches us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And what's the Greek word there for word? Logos. And that's where we get the word logic from. And that's not just a play on words. That's actually the very point that John is making. John is taking a word that everybody understood in Greek philosophy at that time. And he's saying what you guys consider to be the greatest truth, the greatest sense of reasoning, I'm saying is the person of the Son of God. Okay, so you can't get very far in our book without understanding that God is multipersonal. Now, I want to make a quick distinction here because some people may be familiar with the Quran of Islam and notice that in the Quran that he, Allah, speaks as a plural. He'll speak of himself as an us. He'll say, we decided to do this or it was good unto us. And so sometimes people will read that back into the Old Testament and say, when we hear the Bible saying, God said, let us, he is speaking like that. There are multiple problems with that, but I'll just help you understand just this simple thing. The Jewish religion predated Islam by thousands of years, and that was not the way they used the plural. By the time of Muhammad in the five and 600s, using the word us was called the majestic plural. Sometimes I'll speak on behalf of my family and I'll say, we invite you in. And you're like looking around going, uh, Joe, it's just you. You know, but it's we, it's the majestic plural. It's my kingdom in that sense. But Islam was written in a different time to a different people group. To read that back into the Jewish text is inappropriate. So the best question is to understand how did the Jewish people at that time interpret this? They did not interpret it as God speaking in the plural. Their way of understanding it was God was speaking to the angels. So from moment one, the Jewish Jewish people never denied that there were other beings with God that he's talking to and creating to make mankind. The problem with that is, is that that us starts to get more problematic as we get to Genesis 18 because now we see Abraham meets Jehovah or Yahweh face to face and begins having some uh, food with him. And the problem was no one was ever supposed to be able to see God. So how does the Lord appear to Abraham? And then that's just in the book of Genesis. And then by the time we get to the end of the Old Testament, the prophets, Isaiah, say like Isaiah chapter 9, when Isaiah is being when Isaiah is giving the prophecy that the son will be given and the child will be born and he shall be called everlasting father and almighty God. Oh, it's chapter 6 rather. Thank you. Oh, verse 6. 9 verse 6. Somebody say, help him, preacher. There's a preacher helping another preacher. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Look, he shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. We already now know the Jewish people by their own commentaries, by this time, because we see them in the Qumran Valley when they found our Dead Sea Scrolls, we're already trying to figure out who in the world is this person that's being called God, that's showing up as God. I didn't have time to go to the book of Exodus, but he's the angel of the Lord leading out the people. Who is this person? So they began to listen. They began to actually give him qualities as God and actually began to call him the word or the wisdom of God. God, but they thought he was a created being, like he was a super angel. 
That's where Jehovah Witnesses get off a little bit, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But understand this. To read back into our portion of Genesis that this is a majestic plural is to miss the entirety of the Old Testament and to take a, a, take a middle age, dark age culture and put it onto the time of antiquity. This was to the Jewish people a mystery. They did not understand the plurality. They were searching for it. That's why when Jesus came, though there were Jews that thought he was blaspheming, there were other Jews like Paul and scholars like him that were convinced he was God. And where do you think they went? They didn't have the New Testament. Where do you think they went for their proof? They go back to the Old Testament and they go, oh, aha, here it is. Jesus was concealed in the Old Testament in mystery, but now he's revealed in the virgin birth. So that becomes a turning point, and we'll get to understand that a little bit more. So just remember, this is not a majestic plural. This is God speaking to multiple persons. And how do we know it's not angels? Because we're not made in the image of angels. We're made in the image of God, which is repeated over in the book of Genesis. That's why we don't murder each other is because man is made in the image of God, not of God and angels, not in God and a superpower that he made up there. No, God is our our stamp that we are stamped in. Are you guys ready for Genesis 1:26? <laughs> Amen. Then God said, "Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground." Now, right here, let's say somebody goes, "I don't believe anything you said about that us being a majestic, uh, that being outside of a majestic plural. I just think it's one God speaking the majestic plural. I don't care if it was a different time." I don't care if the Jews recognize this as multiple persons. I don't care. I'm sticking with this. Now, here's my question. If this is one God in one person, why is it when he makes us in his image, he makes us multipersonal, male and female? You see, it should have just been one God as one person making one person, but it says now, so God created mankind they're a multi-personal race. Multi-persons are going to share the human race in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, another plural, and he names the plural male and female. He created them. So you got to understand this, ladies. You are not an afterthought of God, though in the timeline it shows that man's created first, then woman, but it was always in his plan. This is before Genesis chapter 2 where it shows how he makes them of the dirt. Genesis chapter 1 says you and I, male and female, are made in his image. God is multi-personal, multi-personal. So he was not just making one person. He made multi-persons and a human race to imitate his multi-personal nature. Now, of course, to prove that through the Old Testament, I have to use New Testament revelation. Otherwise, we'll be left with question marks to what was going on in the Old Testament. So now let's go to the baptism of Jesus. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3. And we'll see right now, right at the beginning of Jesus' life story, and Matthew is the one that really takes his time to explain the virgin birth and how Jesus came into the flesh in the natural sense. John is the one who starts us off in heaven, as we learned last week. But notice here, as Jesus is getting baptized, how we see the three persons. Start in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And that's why John had the nickname John the Baptist. This is not the Apostle John. This is John the Baptizer. But John tried to detour him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. But Jesus replied, let it be now so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Why was that proper? Because Jesus was going to be the perfect man in all that he did. He was going to show us the way, the example of righteousness. Then John consented. As Jesus was baptized... He went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God. Everybody go, hello, Holy Ghost, descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice. Somebody say, hello, Father. Come on. A voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. So do we see the Trinity experiencing right now, uh, being experienced right now? 
Yes, experiencing the Trinity is how the New Testament writers describe it in the Gospels. Then the epistles, when they write out their doctrinal letters, is how now they teach it. But in the moment, they're like experiencing it. They are experiencing the Trinity and how exciting that would be. So it took the Son coming in the flesh to reveal to us the answer to all of the mysteries or problems that they had in the Old Testament. Like, how could God not be seen? No one sees his face, but most Moses talks to them face to face like a friend. That was a problem for them. That created a contradiction. How was that possible? Because no one was talking to the Father, but they were talking to the Son. How is it that we see in the Old Testament that everything that's being done is coming by the Spirit of God, and yet the Spirit of God is not just a force like electricity. The Spirit of God actually has a voice, and, he's, and it, the prophets are saying, by the Spirit of the Lord I say unto you. Well, how did the Spirit do that? He's not just a Wi-Fi signal, and it's not just saying the Spirit said what the Father said. No, it's saying the Spirit is actually talking because sometimes people want to say the Holy Spirit's just a force, but no, he's a person as well. So here they begin to experience the Trinity. Now let's just go. That's right at the beginning of Matthew. Now let's go right to the end of Matthew. Matthew chapter uh, 28, verse 19 and onward. Jesus is now uh, resurrected. He's about ready to ascend. He's giving the church the marching orders. He says, let's go to verse 18. Start this a little bit earlier. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority does Jesus have? All of it, amen, on heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular. Does it say names, plural? No, it says names, singular, of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And so right now would be a good time to take a look at what the Trinity is not so that you can understand what it is. Because you'll learn what it is better as you start to see what people said it was and how they got it wrong, or basically how they got wrong the nature of God. What you see here, Sabellianism, Sabellianism is what oneness Pentecostals believe now, but it was also an ancient heresy back then. And so they would take a scripture like Matthew we just read, and it says, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they would say, Jesus is the name of the Father, Jesus is the name of the Son, and Jesus is the name of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is one person, one person that sometimes is a father, sometimes as a son, and sometimes as a Holy Spirit. So the example of oneness Pentecostal will give you, and they took on this heresy around the time of uh, 1900s, what they'll say to you is they'll say, like, Joe is a father to his children. One Joe, though, is also a son to his father, and then Joe is a pastor to this congregation. So Joe has different roles, but one name and one person. That is not what the Bible teaches. It is not God as one person doing multiple different roles. How do we know that? Well, we can go back to the baptism and see right there that Jesus is in the water and the Father is speaking. What they would have to make this be is that Jesus is a ventriloquist. He's here not moving his mouth, but he's up there making the sound. And then he's also shape-shifting into the form of a dove and coming down upon himself. So we don't believe that. That goes against what the scriptures teach. But you, did you know that John 1.1 will actually answer every one of our false beliefs that are on this board? I'll show you how one verse crushes every one of these beliefs. And I'll be referring to it as we crush those beliefs in Jesus' name. Some may say, crush it, crush it. <laughs> okay, I'm just kidding. Yes, I will. I will. I'm excited. Okay, anyways. Okay, just watch this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Sabellianists, the oneness goes, see, right there, the Word is God, and He's with God it's the same person. We go, hold up, you didn't read it correctly. It says, in the beginning was the Word. We know this as the person of Jesus, so no one's going to argue with that. And it says the Word was with God. Well, that word with means face-to-face. -face. In the Greek, it's pros, ton, theon. Can you be with yourself, facing yourself? No, it literally means, and the Word was face-to-face -face with God. Now when it says the word was God, where do they get confused? Because now they want to use the word God as the person the word is facing right here. 
But that's not how it's being used in actually the Greek. In the Greek, the word God there is being used as an adjective to the noun. It's describing what the noun is. So the better translation would be, in the beginning was Jesus. Jesus was with the Father, and Jesus was God like the Father. The technical term is predicate nominative. It is acting as an adjective to the word. So this is not teaching us that Jesus and the Father are the same person. It's actually teaching us just the opposite, that Jesus is facing the Father and Jesus is God like the Father. Now, how can we prove that our interpretation is right? We just go right down to verse 18, and it says, no one has ever seen God. Well, hold on now. If Jesus is the God that he's with in John 1.1, we just broke John 1.18 because it says no one has ever seen him. But keep reading. But the one and only son who is himself God and his closest relationship with the father has made him known. So do you understand why now I can use the terms father and son right back up here? I can insert the words son and father. In the beginning was the son. And the son was with the father, and the son was God like the father. Any questions, class? Amen. Let's keep going. So we crush that in Jesus' name. The next popular one that we see is our friendly neighborhood door-knocking Jehovah Witnesses. Arianism. Now, get this. There's nothing new under the sun. Any heresy you see now more than likely had something way back then, and the church already dealt with it. Arius was way back then in the church history, and he said, hey, I have a way of explaining all of this. The Father is the Almighty God, but he then creates a lesser God named Jesus, and then the lesser God, Jesus, uses his force, the Holy Spirit. So there's truly only one Almighty God, but then there's a lesser God called the Son, and then he uses the force, the Holy Spirit. But all we have to do is go right back to John 1.1 and show them. It doesn't say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a lesser God. It said there was a God. So guess what the Jehovah Witnesses have to do in their Bible translation to make that fit? They have to add an A before the was there was a God. And they now try to say that there's now two gods. But what's the problem with inserting another God? I don't care if he's lesser than the almighty God. The problem with that is, is you violate one of the most proper principles in the entire Bible, which is called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Then you can go to places like Isaiah chapter 50, uh, 43, verse 10, and this is where they like to get their own scripture from, and you can say, let me take back that scripture and then teach you something with it, amen? So you are my witnesses, declares Jehovah, which they can use that word. We understand his name can be Jehovah. It's pro more proper Yahweh. So here's where they get to become Jehovah witnesses. But keep going. Look at what it says. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I am chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. So the very scripture they used to say, hey, we're Jehovah Witnesses according to Isaiah 43 verse 10. Read the rest of the verse, please, because it basically tells you guys you're making up gods that are never there. So do you see the problem that people are trying to solve? They're trying to solve what is unfathomable to us. It's unfathomable that there's a being that has three persons. We get that, but it's not illogical. Let the scripture speak for itself. How many of you know that there's been things that have been logical but unfathomable to people in past generations, but they had to trust the Bible? They had to do the right thing. It was unfathomable that the Jewish temple would have been destroyed. But Jesus prophesied it, and it happened. It's un, it was unfathomable at the book of Revelation. I mean, just check this out. There's an event that happens, and it says in the event that happens, the two witnesses die, the entire world. It is very clear that it says the entire world watches it and sees it happen. How many know 2,000 years ago that was unfathomable? Nothing illogical about it because we all have eyes and there should be a way we could all see something, right? We all see the sun. So it wasn't unfathom it wasn't illogical. It was just unfathomable to how somebody way over there could see something that's happening way over here. But now satellite, boom, took care of that. So yes, it is unfathomable how the Trinity operates as three persons in one being, but it is not illogical and is clearly stated in the Bible. There's no way around it. We are Trinitarians, not because of some council or some church tradition. We're Trinitarians by interpreting the scripture. 
Now let's go down here to the bottom corner, Judaism and Islam. Now, Judaism and Islam share something in common. They're both Unitarian faiths. And what that basically means is one person, one, one being. One, one God as one person. But you know where they differ? Is Islam says that God is not a father. And the whole purpose of Judaism is that God is raising up a people that he can father and have as his family, as his chosen people, as his children. So Islam takes the pagan version of Allah, which was predating their own religion. Muhammad borrowed that name and borrowed Mecca and borrowed all these traditions that existed before he ever had a vision and now uh, took them into his religion. And one of the things that Muslims now try to point out is say, well, Jews and, uh, Jews and Muslims are closer together in our view of God than the Muslim view of God. And that's actually not true because the Jewish people, as we said before, though they will say God is one person, like the Muslims, just, just to that point, we'll give them credit. But after that, they're dealing with the Old Testament scriptures like the way we are, but they don't have the answers. And so the Muslim, what does he do to get around that? He just says the Jews changed their scriptures. But here's the problem with that. If the Jews changed their scriptures, who's Noah? Because Muhammad talks about him. If we don't have the Jewish scriptures to tell us who Noah is, we have no idea who he is. We don't know who any of the people are. As a matter of fact, the majority of all the Muslim prophets are Jewish prophets. So how does Islam get to come and pick and choose from Jewish faith and reject what it doesn't like? No, if they want to be honest, even as Muhammad was, he said he received the Injil, which is the gospel, and the Torah from the people of the book known as Elkitab. So he had no problem with it, actually. He was illiterate, so he didn't know much of what was in it. It was later Muslims that tried to create the divide. Muhammad was just going along about his way affirming it. But anyways, they're wrong because they don't look at the Jewish dilemma, as we would call it. Let's move on now to paganism. This is the idea of a triad. And if you ever talk to the Jehovah Witnesses, this is what they'll try to tell you your trinity is. There were triads in paganism. Vishnu, Shiva, and Brahma all together made one super god. Kind of, this is kind of like, um, what are the guys who go out and fight? The Rangers? Power Rangers. You know, that, Megazor, thank you. They all come together. This was the pagan understanding of God. One third of God, one third. And so that's how some people to this day see it, okay? And, but you got to learn to not think of God this way. It's not like God is a pie and one third is the Father, one third is the Son, one third is the Holy Spirit. Avoid that. And then lastly, more Mormonism, your total uh, polytheistic Christian-based religion, they borrow from Christianity but then become polytheists, literally believe this, but they won't tell you when they knock on their door on your door they they actually have a plan they follow and that's like what you learn when you're ready to get into the temple and different things it's like an onion you peel it back and then you get to the core but this is what they believe father god had sex with mother god and had all of us spirit babies in heaven and now we come to earth as people and we get to choose whether or not we want to be god or rebel like satan so the ultimate goal is that we become a god have our own planet have multiple wives and inhabit that place with our goddess wives and then have more spirit babies that get to choose if they want to be in godhood so there are as many gods in the mormon system as there are stars and planets they believe that there's an endless cycle of gods having God children and it continuing on and on and on. So what is the Trinity? What have we seen? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. We see the Father and the Son, they're equal. We see in the book of Matthew that the Holy Spirit is also included in this. We see that that confirms with the book of Genesis when he says, let us make mankind in our image. Now would you look at your neighbor and say, that was just the introduction. Amen. It is time now to get into the actual message. Are you guys ready for the message? When we look at that scripture going baptizing in the one name, we know that that is the one name of the Old Testament God that God gave Moses, the great I am, Yahweh. And Yahweh is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But where did we come up with the word Trinity? I just want you to see it up here so you can understand. Right around the late 100s, early 200s, a man named Tertullian wanted to describe that in a way everybody could get. And so he came up with the word triunity, three persons in one. Now remember, it's not because they're coming up with the word trinity that makes it true. Somebody may say, the word trinity's not in the Bible. The word Bible's not in the Bible. Did you know that, smarty pants? Your name's not in the Bible. Do you exist? Come on. The idea of triunity was just a way of explaining what we believe. It was a way of making simple what could be complicated for others. And Christians have always done that with all of our doctrines, by the way. 
And so what we learn is that even though the Greeks and the Hindus had triads, it's not a trinity, just like a house is not a mouse, just because they sound the same, okay? Is a house a mouse because they sound the same? Is a triad a trinity because they sound the same? So if you're in a discussion with somebody and they're trying to force definitions on you, just say, hey, er, stop, can I define my own terms here? I don't believe in three gods being main, one superpower God. I don't believe in a third. And a th I don't, can I just tell you what I believe? There's one being called God who is in three persons. They're co-equal, co-eternal. So make sure you let people know that. And as I mentioned to you before, it was concealed in the Old Testament, revealed in the New Testament. I have a lot more scriptures that you can see the concealing of. They're the Isaiah 9, 6, the Genesis 18 I've already mentioned, and then Moses meeting with God face-to-face -face with the Ten Commandments and the law there, Exodus 33, 20. And a wonderful prophecy there is Daniel 7, 13. Let me just say this about Jesus. He'll have his own message. But uh, one of the things that people misunderstand is the term uh, the Son of Man. A lot of times people think the Son of Man refers to Jesus's uh, humanity. That is not true. Daniel 7, actually the Son of Man is God in his worship. The Son of Man was called that because that's what he looked like. They saw the Father, the Ancient of Days, in a prophecy, but then the Son of... Y'all just want to see it. I get it. Let's go to Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I'm looking at some of you, and you're just like, show it to me, Pastor. I'm here to learn. I'm not in a hurry. I'll listen to you all day. Thank you. I know that's what you meant, right? Because I could tell... <laughs> I'm just kidding, half kid. Look at this. In my vision, Daniel, you know, Daniel in the lion's den, right? How many know Daniel? Guess what? He also had visions. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. That's all it means. He looked like me. Why do you think Jesus looks like us? Because we're made in his image. Who do you think's the one that actually got down and formed us in the sand? That's Jesus. In John 1, verses 1 through 5, it says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So everything has come from Jesus. So he says, man, I see the Son of Man. He's coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days. There's the Father, and he was led into his presence. Now look what happens to the Son of Man. He's given authority, glory, sovereign power, all nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. Can we worship another being other than God? No, that blows up the Jehovah Witnesses as well and the Mormons, right? Both the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses have to deposit other gods. We know there's only one. And so he's being worshiped, so he must be equal to who the Father is, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Now, once again, some people might try to be a smarty pants and say, well, if he was God, why did he get authority? If he was God, he would have had it all along. It's like that's not the point of what Daniel 7 is saying. The point is he comes as a man, and he gets authority as a man. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28? Now I have all authority. Does that mean he didn't have it before as the son? No, he was with the father from the beginning. He's God like the father. As a man, he did this for us so that what we lost in the garden could be given back. That's why he's given it as a man. So the way we can look at it is one of us of flesh and blood has received the power and authority that we lost, and he's worthy of that since he is the the eternal son and we worship him for it does everybody get that so as a man jesus was tired as a man jesus went through things and as a god man he's given that authority he had once had that's why when you go back to john everybody say make it plain and when you go to john chapter 17 this is really the lord's prayer the Our Father is a prayer for us, but if you want to hear the prayer that Jesus prayed, look at the prayer that he prayed right here as he is saying about himself, John 17, 5. And now, Father, this is before he goes to the cross, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So God, do it again, but this time upon the flesh of a man that I took upon myself so that I could be the savior of men. So that's what we're talking about there. Somebody say, make it plain. Amen. So don't fall into the traps of believing a lie because people come with uh, fine-sounding uh, arguments. Take your time, listen through the argument, and dissect it. So what is the simple foundation of the Trinity? It was mentioned in the video, and here it is before uh, we go on to some other things. I just want you to get it one more time. Foundation one, there is only one God worthy of worship. There's no way to read our Bible and come away with anything other than that. There can't be other gods created. You can't be a God that came from a God. Only God is worthy of worship. Now, 
That's where, that's where we do away with. That's where we do away with the Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses, right? But we're on the same page still. We're on the same page still with Muslims and Jews, right? We're on the same page with them and the Sabellianists. But now look at the next thing. This now takes us away from all those other worldviews. There are three divine persons who act as the one God. They act as that one God. So we've just left Judaism because Judaism does not give credit to who the three persons are, even though they know there's multiple persons doing a bunch of God-like stuff, but they won't go so far to start naming who they are. The Muslims deny all of it and try to say the Jews changed their Bible. Now we might as well say the Christians did, but that's not true. Muhammad even affirmed those books. And now we leave the Sabellianists who say that there's just one person of God. No, God is not playing ventriloquism while he's being baptized. We deal with the heart fact. There is a person called the Father in the Bible doing a bunch of things. There is a person called the Son that's face to face with the Father. And then when we get to John chapter 14 and 16, Jesus says he is going to send the Holy Spirit as a person, and the Holy Spirit is going to actually talk to us and be in us. That's why he says it's good that we go away. Look at right here. If you love me, John 14, 15, and keep my commands, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. That word another in the Greek is it means one of the same kind. He's going to give you another one, just like me. Another. Another means just like me. He will give you another advocate. That means Jesus is an advocate. Can I hear an amen for that? And he will help you and be with you forever. Now notice this, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him. It's a him, not an it. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. Can you know a force? Hey, electricity, I, I want to get to know you today. Tell me what you think. Hello, hydroelectric power. Can I talk to you? No, you can talk to the spirit, though. So then he says, now, he will be with you, and you know him because he lives with you and is in you, and I will not leave you as orphans. So how does Jesus come to be with us when he's literally sitting next to the Father right now? How does Jesus come to be with us, folks? By the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the same being, God, but a different person. So he's here with us, giving us the message of truth, living with us, comforting us, honoring the Father and the Son among us. Now, the third foundation is just really simple. If you accept the first two foundations, there's nowhere else to go. There's one God. There's three persons who are claiming to be that one God. What else can you say now? I don't care if you call it Trinity or not. I get it. That's a word we had to make up. But what are you going to call it? You could call it multipersonal. You can call it complex unity. But the conclusion is simple. Those three divine persons are all equally God. And there's the Trinity. Can I hear an amen for that? thought there would be a little bit more of an excitement when I got to that point, but... It's one of those days. It's a little cloudy, a little rainy. I know it's hard, 9 a.m. service, but I'm working up here, okay? I just want to let you know I'm working hard up here for you. And how do I conclude it? It's unfathomable, but it's not illogical, just like the video. Isaiah 48.10 says this is how God would be to us. He said of himself, with whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? So this is where we have to avoid false analogies. Sometimes people will point to an egg and say there's the yellow part, the white part, and the shell. That's like God. No, that's going back to the thirds. You're dividing God. The shell is not the yolk. See, that's a division of the persons. Other times people say God is like water. He can be a solid, he can be a, a liquid, and he can be steam. That's sabellianism. One water doing the three different modes. That's not what we believe. So you're not going to find, get this, anything in our three dimensional world that looks like our God who, who dwells outside of our three-dimensional world. That's like trying to have you be in The Simpsons, okay? I can't put you into The Simpsons. I can put you with a, um, a, a CGI Simpsons, you know, kind of like they did with uh, the uh, Roger Rabbit and that kind of thing, but literally you cannot live in the two-dimensional world of The Simpsons. And so God cannot be fathomed in this world, and that is where it is a mystery, but we now just don't punt the ball and go, well, somebody will figure it out. No, we, we figure Figure it out, but we leave it at where the Bible leaves it. He's three divine persons sharing one being. Can I hear an amen? Amen. amen. So reject all the other uh, uh, false doctrines, heresies over the years, and accept the truth. 
Now, I don't have a lot of time to get into this, and this is what I wanted to spend more time on, so please do your best to read this this week. What I wanted to do was just show you in the Bible how the Trinity is actually experienced and taught. For example, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all called God. In Philippians, I'll just read a few here for you. In Philippians 1, 2, grace to, to you and peace from God our Father. So here we see God as the Father. In Titus 2, 13, it says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the, great, of the glory of our great God and Savior, who? Jesus Christ. And then here, uh, Acts 5, 3, you have to see it in the experience here. The church is having a judgment being done. The Holy Spirit is killing Ananias and Sapphira. And it says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Remember, you can't lie to a force. You lie to a person. And then Peter says, you have not lied to men, but you lied to God. So if he says, you lied to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not a man, he's God, what does he mean the Holy Spirit is? The Holy Spirit is God. It's so simple. How about this? God is everywhere. No one can have these qualities except God. We see in Jeremiah 23, 24, who can hide um, in the secret places and who can hide in the secret places so that I cannot see them, says the Lord. And oftentimes we know the Lord is referring to the Father, can refer to Jesus, and I can show you that as well. But we know safely there, that's the Father. Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord. And then in Matthew 28, 20, he says, I surely will be with you to the very end of the age. Well, how is Jesus going to be with you if he is not like the Lord who fills heaven and earth? Once again, we've already learned you can't have two gods both filling heaven and earth. That's a contradiction, isn't it? Can you have two all-powerful beings? No, because then they're not all-powerful. So you can have the person sharing the power, but not separate. They are not separate in being, only separate in persons. And then the Holy Spirit says, who can go from your, uh, David's saying, who can go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And then we see that God is all-knowing. Those attributes apply to the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, being all-powerful, Father, Son, and Spirit, eternal, Father, Son, and Spirit, creator. Let me just end with this, because how many creators do we have? One or five? Okay, so one. Let's just settle it. One or ten. How many? One or three, how many? One. So one creation, same God. Now watch how clear this is. Isaiah 68, uh, 64, 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. So there we see Lord being attributed to Father. But remember when Jesus came in, in Matthew 28, he said, There's only one name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. So that means the name Yahweh, or Lord, can be attributed to the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But we see it differentiated when his name is, when his name is uh, the title is given of that name. So the title of the Father, the title of the Son, the title of the Holy Spirit, distinguishing the persons. So, O Lord, you are our Father. We know it's the Father being referred to here. We are the clay, you are the potter, and we are the work of your hand. So who are we the work of whose hand? The Father's hand. That's who did it. But now look at the Son. Remember we mentioned this before? Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That talks about him coming in the flesh, dying for our sins, because that now is what we will be like from the resurrection onward. For by him, watch, all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth. See, even with the Jehovah Witness, there's a problem here. You say the Father made us by his hand, but then it says Jesus made us by his hand. Or Jesus created us and everything came from him. So obviously, we have to understand that the Father used Jesus. Who did the Father use to create everything? And does the Father get credit for that? Yes, because they're not separated in being only by person. And so you created all these things, whether they're on earth or in heaven, visible or invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, all things, in case we didn't get it, all things were created through him and also for him. Now remember, even if God created this separate God and broke all the rules, why is now everything for him? That would now make a competing God ruling over the earth. Once again, Jesus is in the same nature as the Father. That's why everything can be for him, just like it's for the Father. And before him are all things, and in him are all things consist. And let me just share this with you quickly, and then I'll show you the Holy Spirit, and we'll move on here. If we say Jesus created all things, we put him in a category of creator of all things. On this side, we put all things. According to a Jehovah Witness, which are the ones you may argue or debate with the most, where would their Jesus be? In the created things, in the created side. But where did we already establish Jesus is? He's in the creator of all things. See, that's a contradiction. So once again, just because they can't understand the Trinity, that's not my fault. I'm preaching it to you without contradiction. Your views create contradiction. If it says here he created all things and he's before all things, how are you putting him over here? 
And sometimes they'll say, well, before everything else. But that's not in the scripture. A-L-L in the Greek is A-L-L in the English as well, okay? It means all. And then we hear that the Spirit was there. Job 33, 4 says, the Spirit of God has made me. Oh, is this a contradiction? The Father says he makes me. Jesus says he makes me. The Spirit says, no, all of them made us. And the Spirit was there when Jesus was molding us and the Father was there. Yes, as separate persons, but together creating mankind. And that was the breath of life that we gave, were given. The Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Somebody say amen. amen. Can I read to you a closing creed? And I want to share this with you in all sincerity as Adam comes, please. I know today may not have had the same emotional push like you can make it in life and God is with you through your hard times kind of message, but uh, can, I, can I be honest with you? The more you know your God, the more you'll understand he's with you and he'll never leave you and you can make it. I want to share with you a creed that comes from the 300s and that represents our belief as Christians. And so for some of you who this was over your head, it wasn't as practical as you thought it was, and maybe you're arguing with yourself right now, why did I even come to church? Uh, let me just remind you, you're learning about God, kind of the most important person you can ever learn about, you know? Uh, so maybe you need to repent for having that bad attitude or thinking wrongly about studying about God. And maybe if I could just encourage you, from the book of Ephesians, it actually tells us that all of our blessings will come through our knowledge of God. Look at this right here. The Bible talks about that we've been chosen to be a part of Christ, and then he prays for us, Paul. And look at what he says. He says, I'm praying for you. I keep asking. This is Paul's prayer. He says, I keep asking. I keep asking this, and I keep asking this for all of us. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So if you know God better, you'll do better. If you know God better, you won't feel like you're alone when you're going through those problems. You'll believe he's the healer. You'll know that he's the provider. You'll know that he's the power empowerer. So today, know him better. Know him better. Take time to study. It was given to us for that reason. And so in honor of the Athanasian Creed, I want to read it to you without interruption. Now remember the word Catholic for them was universal. The Roman Catholic Church took that name and claimed it for themselves around the 500s, but this simply means the universal church, the church that is everywhere on the planet, that's who Athanasius is writing to. Whoever believes, or excuse me, whoever desires to be saved should hold to all the universal faith. Anyone who does not keep it whole and unbroken will doubtlessly perish eternally. Now this is the universal faith. You want to know what Christians believe? Here it is. That we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, never blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person. The person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. What quality the Father has, the Son has, and the Holy Spirit has. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Spirit uncreated. The Father is immeasurable, the Son is immeasurable, the Holy Spirit is immeasurable. The Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, the Holy Spirit is eternal. Yet there are not three eternal beings there is but one eternal being. So too, there are not three uncreated or immeasurable beings. There is but one uncreated and immeasurable being. Similarly, the Father is almighty. The Son is almighty. The Holy Spirit is almighty. Yet there are not three almighty beings. There is but only one almighty being. Thus the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Yet there are not three gods. There is but one God. Thus the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord, yet there are not three lords, there is but one Lord. And I could have showed you all of that too in Scripture. I love this preaching from so many thousand years ago. Just as Christian truth compels us to confess each person individually to be both God and Lord, so universal religion forbids us to say that there are three gods or three lords. The Father neither made nor created nor begotten from anyone. The Son was neither made nor created. He was begotten from the Father alone. That means he came from heaven to earth. The Holy Spirit was neither made nor created nor begotten, but he proceeds from the Father and the Son. 
Accordingly, there is one Father, not three fathers. There is one Son, not three sons. There is one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. Jesus is talking to the Father literally when he's on the cross, and the Holy Spirit is there comforting him. Nothing in this Trinity is before or after. Nothing is greater or smaller. In their entirety, the three persons are co-eternal and co-equal with each other. So in everything, as we said earlier, we must worship their Trinity and their unity and their unity and their Trinity. Somebody put that on Facebook. We worship the Trinity in unity and the unity in Trinity. Anyone then who desires to be saved should think thus about the Trinity. But it is necessary for eternal salvation that one also believe in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ faithfully. And this is where I have to interrupt real quick. That's where all the confusion comes from. Well, if Jesus was God, why did he get tired? God doesn't get tired. If Jesus was God, why is he talking to himself on the cross? We don't believe Jesus is the Father, and we believe Jesus became flesh. And he didn't stop being God when he became flesh. If you put on a spacesuit, do you stop being human? If Jesus put on an earth suit, does he stop being God? Come on, somebody. Now, this is the true faith. Somebody say, this is the true faith. That we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and human equally. He is God from the essence of the Father, begotten before time. He is human from the essence of his mother, born in time, completely God, completely human. And Jesus will have a wonderful service on this when we talk about him. With the rational soul and human flesh equal to the Father as regards to divinity, less than the Father as regards to humanity. That's what he did for us. Philippians 2 talks about that. Although he is God and human, yet there are not two Christs, but one. He is one, however, not by his divinity being turned into flesh, but by God taking humanity to himself. He didn't turn into a man like Zeus and these other gods did. He took it on, like I said, like an earth suit. He is one, certainly not by blending of his essence. He doesn't blend it, just like you don't blend in with your spacesuit, but by the unity of his person. Just as one human is both rational and flesh, so too Christ is both God and human. He suffered for our salvation. He descended to hell. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven, and he has seated at the Father's right hand. If this doesn't get you excited, I'm sorry, but you don't know the Bible. This is good preaching right here. Come on. For there he will come to judge the living and the dead. At his coming, all people will arise bodily and give an account of their deeds. Those who have done good will enter eternal life, and those who have done evil will enter eternal fire. No mincing of words. This this is the universal faith. One cannot be saved without believing it firmly and faithfully. If you're going to believe it, would you stand up? Give Jesus, come on, a hand clap of praise. Somebody shout amen. Hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. Amen. Amen. So that's some good preaching, my friends. There you go. That's our God. Now go study. Go grow in your knowledge of God. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? When you pray, pray to the Father in Jesus' name and experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you want to know how to live in the Trinity's blessings today? Here it is. Pray to the Father in the name of Jesus and experience the Holy Spirit. That's how we experience the Trinity every day. So is it, is it meaningful? Yeah, you better believe it's meaningful. Humanity was meant to experience the divinity in the Trinity. I'm going to say that again as we get ready to close. Don't miss it, y'all. You were meant to experience divinity. You were meant to taste God, in other words. You were meant to feel God. You were meant to dance with the divine. You were meant to have a relationship with God, and you do that within the Trinity. By the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Will there ever be a day in your existence that you don't experience the Trinity? Never. Even in hell, they understand it. They understand they're experiencing his judgment. Let us pray and experience the Trinity right now. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we ask you to fill us again with your power from the Holy Spirit. Comfort those who are here that may be hurting and are going through a tough time. 
Empower those who are facing challenges today in their life. Give us the words of wisdom so that we may please you in all that we do. Take a few moments to pray to the Father in Jesus' name and experience the Holy Spirit. Don't leave until you've experienced God in this place. God is not just a thought. God is not just something we learn about. God is someone we experience. Pray to the Father in Jesus' name and experience the Holy Spirit. If you have not been saved, ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Confess Him to be the Lord, the Master, the God of your life. And guess what? You'll experience the Father right now by the Holy Spirit. Because there's only one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Are you here today and yet you haven't been baptized with the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues? Raise up your hands and say, Father, I receive the gift of the Spirit sent by Jesus. And begin to utter new languages. Let the Holy Spirit give you power. Through the baptism of His Spirit, He'll give you the power for your hour of need. Those who are already baptized in the Spirit, speak those heavenly languages. Whoa! Hallelujah! We're not ashamed today. We experience you. We experience you. Those who want the gifts of the Spirit, just start to pray for the gifts of the Spirit of healing of power, of wisdom, of prophecy, of knowledge. Pray that God will use you. This is not weird. This is how we worship our God. This is how we serve our God. Change our lives. Rearrange us. Make us like you. Make us like you. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And now pray. Pray for three situations you're facing right now in the to the Father in Jesus' name and believe the Holy Spirit to impact those situations right now. Are you looking for a job? Ask the Father in Jesus' name for the Holy Spirit to lead you this week as you fill out applications, as you go to interviews. Are you having a tough time in your marriage or relationship? Ask the Father in Jesus' name for the Holy Spirit to manifest His power in that relationship. Have you been hurt? Are you dealing with offense or dealing with issues of what others have done to you? Ask the Father in Jesus' name to heal you. Three situations right now. Where do you need your God to be with you? The God of heaven and earth walks with you today. Jesus said, I'm with you always. I'm with you always until the end of the age. Few moments, few moments. Our God said we could pray and move mountains. Our God said we could experience miracles. You might say to yourself, well, I know plenty of non-Christians that have all the things I'm praying for. Maybe I don't need God. God God's just maybe a make-believe thing. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you know anybody that gives themselves oxygen? Do you know anybody that give them, gave themselves a planet or existence? Science doesn't explain that, friends. Our God is a necessity to understanding everything else. And just because atheists or unbelievers live in our world and find success and doesn't disprove our God, look at their principles. They're living by the principles of the world, uh, of the Bible. And if they're not, they'll get caught in the end. So if you see a happy marriage, it's because they're treating others as they want to be treated. But they didn't get that from evolution. They got that from their conscience that God gave them. So don't make excuses not to go after God and say, well, maybe I don't need to push that hard into God's presence because I can be like Oprah. You don't know where Oprah's headed, number one. Number two, you don't know the foundation of her worldview is sand. And number three, whatever she does that is good, the Bible says every good and perfect gift has come from the Father. So whatever niceness she has, whatever wisdom she has, whatever she does, that's all from God. 
So you need that. Get it right now in Jesus' name. No excuses. We're coming after God today and his plan for our lives. And then like the lesson we learned in offering, let's give the atheist, let's give the Muslim, let's give the unbeliever a run for their money right now. Let's have another scientific age where the Christians are running the science departments. Let's have another educational enlightenment period where we're running the arts in the universities again. Come on, let's have some renovations and revolutions in our culture birthed by Christians. Freedom of the slave, birthed by Christians. Women's suffrage, birthed by Christians. A democracy, birthed by Christians. Have Christians done dumb things? Yes, but only when they've gotten off track. Everything good on this planet has come by God's people and his wisdom. A few moments right now, pray for God to do something in your life right now through the power of you knowing him. Because he said it would change your circumstances. Not like a, he's not like a genie. But through the wisdom and the power, it would change things. A few moments right now. Right now. Come on, just press in. Press in to God. God, we need you. Don't just stop because the music stopped. Press in. It's your choice right now. I want God in my marriage. I want God over my finances. I want God in this city. That's why I preach his gospel on Madison and Pulaski from a truck. Where do you want to see God this week? Pray to the Father in Jesus' name and experience the power of the Holy Spirit. 30 more seconds. Is anything impossible for our God? Is anything too hard? There was once a time where people would have thought it unimaginable to kill a baby in a womb. I want that to be our thoughts again. Now some of you, it's so normal to see homosexuality. Let's go back to where it's abnormal again. So many of you are used to complaining and living a life as a grump. Go back to the Bible and learn how to have a good attitude. Have the spirit of a child, the Bible says. The faith of a child. Don't let the world take away these gifts God has given you. Fight for them. Stand your ground, saints. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, can you say amen one more time? Praise God.